Well, that, that might not scream Valentine's Day, <laughs> but, but it is uh, the series that we're in. In First Peter, last week we were looking at, you know, basically how do you have a breakthrough life? We live in a world of, of death and pain and suffering and decay. We live in a world of hypocrisy and lies and frustration and defeat. How do you not just survive in a world like that, but how as a Christian do you thrive and really have a victory, breakthrough kind of life? And so last week, one of the things we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1 was the battle is in your mind. And how you think determines how you live. And it's so important what you think about and how you think about it. And, and Christianity is often portrayed as this feelings-based, emotional, intuitive religion that, that's all about, you know, uh, it's not about your mind and nothing could be further than the truth. Your mind is your greatest ally in your spiritual journey. In fact, Jesus says you need to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And so our minds are key. And if you are here this morning and you're just trying to discover about Christianity or you're skeptical or you're looking into things, you've probably been told that there's these questions, these universal questions like, like why, if God, if there's a good God, why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a killer. That must mean there is no God. I'm telling you there are rational Uh, mental, logical answers to all of your questions. And there are a great deal, many people who don't want you to hear the answers and, and you need to dig and, and you need to, you need to talk to people, but, but they are there. And I just want to encourage you. If you're here questioning and wondering, talk to me, talk to somebody about these issues because our minds are very much a part of our Christian life and experiences. So this week we're into chapter two now, and we're going to be talking about some more things to have this breakthrough life. And uh, we'll just start with with verse four here um, in First Peter chapter two, and it says, "As you come to Him, it says the living stone rejected by humans." but chosen by God. Um, This is talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the living stone. He's the one rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him. But then it says, you also. And so he's saying, in the same way, you're also chosen by God. You also may be rejected by people, and you also are precious to God. Some of those songs we just sang, there's so many, so many words from the verses we're going to talk about are, are in those songs. You are chosen, not forsaken. I am not, not who I say I am. I'm not who you say I am. I am who God says I am. And this is who God says we are. Just like Jesus, we're chosen. Just like Jesus, we're precious to God. And like living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing I want to take away from that verse. How do we have a breakthrough life? We need to recognize that you are chosen for a purpose. You, have, there, you are on a mission. There is, there is something, I don't know if you've ever kind of just thrown up your hands and been like, God, what do you want me to do? What, 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 what is my life about? And, and it's, it's right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Your purpose. You ready for your purpose? Ready to know what your whole life is about? You're a living stone being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just clear everything up? Like, wow, thank you, Peter. 
I'm a living stone. What in the world? You know, I'm a royal priesthood. Not, acting, not offering sacrifices. No, that would be too concrete and object. No, spiritual sacrifices. So it's not even real sacrifices. And I'm just going to take, take a time out from 1 Peter right here and just talk about something. Why is it that so much of the Bible is like this? Where you read it, and I know we have a few of you who you're like Bible scholars, and you're like, I understand that completely. You know, but most of us, we read stuff in the Bible like this very often, and we're like, what in the world? What does that mean? And, and there's a couple reasons why. One is because it was written between 2,000 and 3,400 years ago. So I don't know if any of you have ever read Shakespeare. Shakespeare was written just before, it's a little 400 years old. Shakespeare is at times hard to understand because it's over 400 years old. Multiply that times five and you got First Peter. Multiply that times eight and you got Deuteronomy. No wonder we struggle. But, but beyond that, actually, the disciples asked Jesus this question. They said, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in stories and in parables and in riddles? Why do you talk to people that way, Jesus? You got thousands of people. They're standing up for you. They're hanging on your every word. And you tell them stories that we don't even understand. And the disciples would come to Jesus afterward and say, so that story about the sower of the seeds, that was a good one. What does it mean? What are you talking about? And here's Jesus' response when his disciples asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said, I do it so that people don't understand what I'm saying. That goes against everything I've ever been taught of how to communicate, right? If I told you my job is to get up on Sunday morning and, to make, and just confuse the life out of you so that you go away like, I have no idea what that was about. Like, that, that would not be a successful, right? That's not what a teacher does. It's not what a preacher does. Why did Jesus do that? Talk in ways, and why is the Bible written like that? So hard to understand. And here's what he said. He said, I don't want people to understand because too much is given, much is required. And if you don't have enough passion to try to figure out some obscure things in God's word, then once you figure it out, you definitely won't have the passion to obey it and do it. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to sift out the people who are merely curious. Like, what does God want from me? I'm curious. Are you just curious? Yeah, I'm just curious. Then don't bother. Because you're like, oh, that's what God wants from me. <laughs> Moving on. And now you're going to be held accountable for more information and, and judged for more that you're not doing, that you know better now. Before you were an ignorant fool, now you're an educated fool. And, and Jesus is just saying, I, I, I don't want that. If you really want to love me, if you really want to follow me, it's going to take some digging. It's going to take some mental effort. God created us with minds and he wants us to use them. And so we have passages like this where we just come away and we're like, what does that mean? And one of the things I do when, I, when I'm confronted with verses like that, what does it mean? Is I just keep reading. And sometimes it's, it gets explained. And so you are chosen for a purpose and the purpose is greater than you. So here's, here's the verse. You are a living stone and you're being built into a spiritual house. 
So I'm just one stone, but I'm a part of something greater. I'm a part of a spiritual house, purpose greater than yourself. And then he goes on to say, for in Scripture it says, see, I lay a a stone in Zion, that's like Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter's talking about Jesus again. And he says, Jesus is the cornerstone of of this spiritual building that you're a part of, of this purpose that you're a part of. Jesus is the cornerstone. And, and the cornerstone was very important, right? And it, it was the foundation that the house was built on. And not only did it have to make the, if the cornerstone wasn't flat, the, the house wasn't going to be flat, right? If your foundation is like this, you're in trouble, yeah? And, and the cornerstone was also, it needed to be square, if the cornerstone was 100 degrees instead of 90 degrees, you're going to have a crooked house. And so he says, this is a precious, this is a chosen cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So there's two ways in our lives. Sometimes we know, we know what's right. We know this is the right way, and we don't, go the, we don't do it anyway, Right? And, and that's easy to say, okay, I know Jesus is right and I'm not. But what this is talking about is trusting in Jesus. You'll never be put to shame. Sometimes in life, we think, no, this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to live. And Jesus is over there. Then what do you do? You say, everybody, this is, everybody lives this way. Like, this makes complete sense. This is logical. This is, this is the, and Jesus is over there. Then what do you do? And, and this is saying, if you trust in yourself and in what you think is right, and you trust in your culture and in, in your friends and in your mother or whoever is disagreeing with Jesus, you will have a time in your life at some point where you're going to be ashamed. Be like, oh, that was so stupid. How could I have been pulled in? How could I have been, been so confused? And how, how could I go the wrong way? But he says, but if you trust in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. We're living stones in this wall and we're kind of looking down. That cornerstone's crooked. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm crooked. I need to get in line. You know, it's like playing in a band with a metronome. That metronome's off, right? It's, it's off. No, it's not off. I'm off, right? Right? That keyboard's off. I'm, I'm singing the right note. The keyboard's wrong. The piano's wrong. No, no. The piano's right. And, and we need to do that with Jesus. And increasingly as our culture becomes post-Christian, Christianity and what God's Word says is increasingly going to be going, people are going to say, that's what Jesus stands for? Jesus is wrong. Jesus is evil. Jesus is stupid. And people will pay lip service to the Jesus of their own imagination, but the Jesus of the Bible, they're not going to trust it. You who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, so the builders, the movers and shakers in our world and in our culture, they look at Jesus and they're like, he's crooked. That's not exactly how we should live. We have a better way. And, and he's rejected. And it says, and a stone that causes people to stumble. They're, they're like walking through life and they, they trip over Jesus. 
And they're like, who put that rock there? That's stupid. That's going to hurt somebody. Get rid of it. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is the foundation. This is what you need to stand on. This is what a, a purpose-filled, a, a life of meaning, a victorious, a breakthrough life is based on Jesus, this, this cornerstone. Stone causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You know, there are people that, that say Christianity is bad. Why? Because it makes people feel bad about themselves. And you tell us we're sinners. That's not a good message. You need to, you need to encourage people. You need to tell people that you're okay. Whatever you do, it's okay. Until you mess with me, and then I don't like that. But, right? And, and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm not okay. But Jesus is, and he can help me become more okay and more like him. And, but, but this means parting ways with, with many of the, much of the thinking in our culture and following the Jesus of the Bible. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is, this is such a key verse. What is our mission? What is our purpose? One of our purposes is, we're going to look at two this morning, and the first one is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And, and that, that means you are, your, your purpose is greater than yourself. And, and the question is, are you going to live your purpose or are you going to derail it? Are you going to pr- praise the God who made you, the, the, the Jesus who saved you? Are you going to communicate to others about that? Or are you just going just gonna to go off on your own and, and not talk about him? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Um. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a couple ways that we need to declare the praises of God. There's a couple ways we need to fulfill our purpose. And, and one of them is recognizing that we can't do that alone. Okay, if you are created for a purpose that's greater than you, you need to recognize that you need others to fulfill that purpose as well. Um, every, every place the word you is mentioned in these verses, uh, it, is, it is you plural. So in the English language, you is a vague pronoun. It can mean one you, you know, or it can mean all y'all you, right? And, but in the language that First Peter was written, Greek, it's very, there's a different word for singular and there's a different word for plural. And all throughout these verses, it's, it's talking about groups. If you want to fulfill your purpose, it doesn't say you are a chosen person. No, you're a chosen people. It doesn't say you're a royal priest. No, you're a royal priesthood. It doesn't say you're a holy citizen. You're a holy guy. No, you're a holy nation. And, and this means we need the church. We need the church. We need other believers to help us fulfill our purpose, to, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And this is not just talking about singing together. 
Right? That, that is good, and that is one way we do that, but we need to do that as we leave here and after we leave here and on Monday through Saturday and not just Sunday. And the, the, the only way we can declare the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light is we have to do that together. The church is indispensable. And when I say the church, I don't mean Bridgewater. Bridgewater can come and Bridgewater can go, but the church of God is what we all need. And, and I get really kind of weary and tired of people beating up on the church. And I, I totally understand there are evil people. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul warns against that. God's word warns against that, that there are those who dress up. And if you're Satan, where are you going to go on Sunday morning? You're going to go to church. It's where you can do the most damage. So, so I, I totally get that. A lot of people, maybe some of you have been hurt in churches you know what? I've been hurt. <laughs> People have said mean things and lied about me in church, but here's the thing. We treat the church in that way different than we treat everything else. You ever gone to a restaurant and had bad service? I went to, I went to a, maybe I shouldn't say what, a restaurant, not in Montrose, and with my fries, I was eating my fries, I got to the bottom four or five flies in the bottom of my fry. And I'm like, yeah. And so does that mean, so, so, so since then, this is, what, this is my response. I will never go to a restaurant again because I had a bad experience. And you shouldn't go to a restaurant either. They're terrible. Is that the takeaway? No. The takeaway is I'm not going to that restaurant because <laughs> they're messed up, you know. Um, how do you wasn't just one. I mean, what in the world? Like, I don't think they knew me either, you know? <laughs> oh, there's Bob. <laughs> Put that in your fries and smoke it, you know? I mean, but no, that's not our takeaway. Our takeaway isn't all restaurants are bad because I had bad, but that's what happens with church. No, I don't go to church. You see, they're all bad because I had a bad experience. And, and, you know, or, 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 you know what? I had someone text me, a nasty text. That's why I never use my phone. I don't have a phone anymore. Because, and phones are bad. You shouldn't have one either. Because I had this bad experience once with it. I had a bad experience five times. No, we don't do that with anything else in our life. But with the church, flush that thing down the toilet. Get rid of it. Don't do it. Don't avoid it. It's no good. Because I got hurt. And I recognize we do get hurt. We do, have, we do have people putting spiritual flies in our fries on a Sunday morning sometimes. But the church is the hope of the world. Jesus could have started an educational institution. He could have started a political uh, organization. He could have started an army. He could have done anything he wanted. And he did one thing. He started the church because we need the church. And here's the thing. Some of you will not go to church today because right now you're going to a concert and a speech. The church is people. And after the service, and whether you're watching online or here, you need to talk to other Christians because that's going to church. All right, so, and at the end of this, I'm going to give you two questions to try to apply this to your lives, and then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something to share with someone else, a story. Tell a story 
about how God has impacted you. And, and that's, so when we're done, you'll have a chance to go to church, all right? Um, will you live or derail it? Once you're not a people, but now you're, you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I tell you what, Peter understood mercy. And he remembered, I don't know how much you remember. Do you remember when you didn't have the mercy of God in your life? Peter remembers. And, and he remembered when he denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus is being led out of the courtyard where he's been beaten. And, and the Bible says in John that Jesus looked over at Peter just after he denied him the third time. And the rooster crowed. And, and after the resurrection, after Jesus had appeared... Peter went back to fishing. And I think at that point in Peter's life, he was saying, you know what? I had a chance to be a part of the greatest movement that God is ever going to do on this earth. I had a chance to be a part of the church. And, and Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm Peter. I'm a little stone. And, and I'm going to build my church on a rock. And Peter, you're going to be a part of that. And, but I blew it. So I, I just, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And Jesus appeared to Peter on the beach. And he doesn't give him what he deserves. He doesn't, he doesn't light into him and, and tell him, Peter, you're such a failure. When I needed you most, you, you, you denied me. You abandoned me. How could you do that, Peter? Here's a crown of thorns, Peter. See how it feels. No, he didn't, he didn't give Peter what he deserved. He said to Peter, Peter, I want you to lead and shepherd and take care of and feed my people. Feed my sheep. In fact, I even want, I want, I'll even trust you with my lambs. The little kids and the new believers and the, the baby Christians. He says, I want you to feed them too. Peter, I'm reinstating you. And then toward the end of that conversation, he says something very innocuous, but that I think really resonated with Peter. He said, Peter, follow me. When Peter first met Jesus, that's what Jesus said, follow me. But, but Lord, there's so much that has happened. There's so many times I've failed you. And there's, there's so much water over the bridge. No, there's not, Peter. It's, it's just like day one. Peter, follow me. And he did. That's mercy. Every single one of us has been shown that kind of mercy from Jesus Christ. And, and the more we recognize that and understand that, the more we will accomplish our purpose. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, here's some more um, identity language, right? Our identity is as a royal priesthood. Our identity as a holy nation. Our identity is a, a living stone in the building and, and on the foundation of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Our identity. Have you ever, lately, any of you ever feel like this isn't even your country anymore? You know why? Because it never was. My identity is not as a white, middle-class uh, American male, that is not who I am. I am chosen by God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a foreigner and an exile here. I'm a citizen of heaven. 
And if you're following Christ, that's who you are too. And, and maybe our country has changed on purpose because God wants you to understand that this was never your country to begin with. We're in a different country and we need to abstain from sinful desires and we need to live in such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And, and my initial reading of that, I came away with two things that were wrong. Number one, I came away with if you, the, the idea of if you live for God, even though pagans, pagans is a word for anyone who is not following Jesus Christ. So most Americans are pagans. Don't call them that. They'll be offended. <laughs> they won't know what you mean. All right. But in the Bible, that's what a pagan means. It's someone who's not following Jesus. Everyone who's not following Jesus is a pagan. And so, so they're saying they might accuse you of wrong. So it's kind of, I thought it was like this. So, so I need to live such a good life that they'll be like, man, Christians are are narrow-minded and intolerant and they're haters and they're this and that. But I know Bob. And Bob is not like that. I thought that's what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. It's saying actually in this life, they'll just accuse you of doing wrong. You're a hater. You're intolerant. You're narrow-minded. You're this. You're that. You're no good. You're misled. You're ignorant. You're... you're um, easily taken in. You're a fool. It isn't until the day Jesus, God visits us. It isn't until the day of judgment that they'll recognize, oh. And then, and then the other miss, I thought then, I don't know why, but the glory would go to us. Oh, no, you are a good guy, Bob. No, that the glory never, it's not going to come to us. They're going to get, oh, God deserves the glory because I saw Jesus through him and through her and through. So, so this is not saying if you live really good moral lives, everybody is going to stand up and be like, wow, aren't you? No, as some people, some of you say, no good turn goes unpunished. <laughs> and we see that increasingly in our world, people standing up and saying what's true and, and, and loving others. And still not doing that. So here's, here's your breakthrough purpose. Two things. Glorify God by, by doing good. And your good deeds will glorify God. So, to, so that's, that's the works. How will you show Jesus to others? How will you show others Jesus? And then the words that, that, that you may, you know, through, through what you say, what will you tell others about Jesus Today, how are you going to put this into practice? Declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then by doing good, you will, you will, and doing good deeds, they will glorify God sometime in the future. So here's a story about that. And then here's, because you got to think about this. Before you leave, share a story of how someone's works or words pointed you to Jesus. All right. This, so, so when we dismiss, you get to go to church. And, and do that before you leave. Okay, maybe it's out in the lobby. Maybe if you're watching online, maybe it's the people you're watching with. Maybe you give somebody a call. Maybe, maybe it's right here. It's going to be a little loud in here for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll turn it down so you can talk and, um, and, and, and share that. Here, here's a story I got from my small group this last Wednesday. Valerie was talking about um, growing up. She said, my mom would tell me about Jesus all the time, and frankly, I really didn't pay attention. And I've forgotten 
almost everything she's told me about Jesus. But there was this one day that we were walking into the grocery store or to the grocery store, and there was a bum uh, sprawled out on the sidewalk where we were walking. And I think she was a teenager at this point in her life, and so she sees this bum and she's, you know, kind of walking around, maybe holding her breath so she doesn't smell him. You know, not, not, not looking at him, trying to, pretending he's not there. And then she said, and then my mom stops and gets down right on his level and said, are you okay? Is there anything we can do for you? Do you, do you need anything? Can we help you? And she said, for all that my mom told me about Jesus, I will never forget how she acted like Jesus on that day. And you know, sometimes we think, I'm going to help this bum. You know what? She might not have helped him at all. Anything she had done, it might not have done any good. But it did a world of good to her daughter. Indirectly, the person that, and God works in that way so often. The, you know, we think, boy, I, I, I did so much for this person and nothing came of it. No, don't say that. You don't know. Maybe God worked in that person's life. Maybe he worked in somebody else's life completely. And so that story shows her mother showed Jesus to others. And then by sharing that story with us, Valerie was telling us about who Jesus was. In fact, she went on to say, Valerie said, you know, we should get better at sharing stories in the Bible. And I said, you just did. You shared the story of the Good Samaritan. But it was so much more meaningful because it was your life and your mother's life. So how has someone, through their works, through their words, pointed you to Jesus? Share that with someone and, and figure out how to, how to, serve God through others, how to share Christ with others. Maybe you just invite them to church. You know, we've, we've gotten away from that because we're worried. I'm worried. If I invite someone to church, are they going to think I'm a bad person? Right? Are they going to think, you know what? Who cares? They'll glorify God on the day he visits us. If I'm doing it with the right attitude, if I'm doing it with the right, right spirit, if I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord... Um, we, we just need to have some courage and recognize that our, our job is not to be popular. <laughs> our job is not to tick people off and be annoying either, you know, if you can help it. But our, our job is to declare the praises of God. And by doing good, we would put to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And God, it is it is. It is a struggle to understand sometimes. But God, I thank you for the church, the body, where we can ask each other questions and help each other understand. And God, I just thank you for the body that's here today and for those that are watching online. And I just ask that you would just, just help us not to try to go it alone. God, help us to just avail ourselves of the encouragement, of, of the help and assistance that you've placed all around us and other believers so that together we can fulfill our purpose of acting like you and pointing people 
to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.